So anyone have a planning on make, uh, planting a garden this year? Anyone? Yeah, a few, a few. Well, good news for those of you who haven't got your seeds yet. Uh, Ian Walden, uh, he has a whole mess of seeds that he's given away. So after the service, when you go towards the, um, you know, the, the cafeteria there, the gymnasium, he has a whole, he has a table full of seeds and different little packets. So you can get a little pack, get yourself some. A lead, this whole mess of lettuce seeds and beet seeds. There's just a ton of seeds, so you can get some of those and uh, and plant them if you're planning on having a garden. Or if you weren't planning on having a garden, you're like, hey, free seeds, maybe I will now. Because um, one of the things about uh, gardening and stuff in our culture is that a lot of people don't know about growing things anymore. It used to be, you know, everyone did a little bit of farming. Everyone knew about some sort of growing things. Now you just go to the store and, oh, look, there's lettuce. It just happens to be there. And you just grab it. You might not know how it grows or any of the process. Um, because that's kind of the, the world we live in, right? We're not really connected to farming all that much uh, like we used to. Um, but Jesus, in Jesus' day, everyone was connected to farming in some way. Uh, there was an agrarian society, uh, so everyone knew about planting. Even if they were merchants, they knew their, their livelihood was connected in some way uh, to, to agriculture. So when Jesus uh, spoke and when he was teaching, he would often use the um, images of, of agriculture, of farming, like he, do, he does in our scripture reading today to teach people so that they would understand. And so uh, as we go through the, the, this series in the book of Matthew, so we're going through the, the book of Matthew, we just concluded a section where Jesus is healing many people, he's casting out demons, and there's growing opposition to Jesus. That is, he is teaching and in healing, now folks are opposing him. And in chapter 13, he moves to the section on teaching and parables. And actually, some of these parables will explain why is there this division? Why are some people excited and following Jesus and others are opposing him? Some of these, the parables he will tell explain that, including today's. And the setting, as, as Wendy read, um, the crowds are coming, and there's so, much, so many crowds that as Jesus is teaching, some people can't always hear him and so what does he do he goes and he gets in a boat so show that next slide please he he gets in a boat and uh the people sit along the shore it kind of makes a natural amphitheater right and that makes sense that if if you're in a boat and the shore goes up a little bit that's that's perfect that people can see you your voice can be projected over the you know over the water and that's what he's done he's gathered these crowds and then he teaches them. He teaches them uh, in a parable. In this, our scripture reading, uh, he tells the parable, and then he explains it to his disciples later. But in between the uh, presentation and the explanation, he also teaches about what, why he's talking in parables and how the parables actually reflect the situation of some receiving Christ's message and some not. And that actually fulfills um, scripture. So what is a parable? We, uh, many of us are familiar that Jesus often taught in parables. Well, what is a parable? Uh, the very basic definition of a parable is where you set 
one thing alongside another to make a comparison or an illustration. Okay, so setting one thing alongside of another parallel to help show a comparison to explain those things. And Jesus, he would often, again, use the simple images, the simple things of, um, of everyday life and put them alongside some spiritual truths that he wanted to illustrate or compare them to. So Jesus would often take the everyday things of life and in that culture, so a sheep, uh, sowing seed, those kinds of everyday things that people were familiar with, and then he would put those alongside a spiritual truth, like the kingdom of God, like in this instance, how one receives the message of God. And with that comparison, it helps people understand it in a deeper way. Well, I should say it usually helps people understand things in a deeper way. Because sometimes, and this is what we see here, parables can actually be a barrier. Because if the parable, if you don't understand the parable, if the parable isn't explained well, then sometimes there can be somewhat of a mystery. Like, wait, what exactly, how does that equate to this? There can be some confusion. And Jesus does this intentionally because he's saying even the act of giving a parable that genre, that, that type of, uh, of teaching illustrates the fact that some people will receive the message and when they receive it and they understand it, they seek more and they'll be given more. But those who reject the message, when Jesus speaks in parables, like, nah, I don't quite understand that, but no big deal. I don't, don't follow him anyways. So it can actually... Um, so parables actually illustrate how God's message can have different results in different people and how God's message can be something where uh, if it's a little bit obscure, you can seek and get more or that can be an excuse for not wanting anymore. So this parable does double duty in this case. In the, the parable of the soils, it illustrates, again, how God's message can have different results. It's the same message, but it depends on the soil that that message goes and falls into. That, there, that there's a, a heart issue, the soil of our hearts, and that we can hear but not really hear. And in some people, Jesus' message, it produces abundant fruit. But in others, it doesn't have any effect. But the difference is the heart, the preparation of the soil of where Jesus' message falls. Because many people will hear Jesus' teaching, and many at that time were listening to Jesus. Big crowds were coming, and they heard Jesus' message, but some of them didn't really hear. A lot of them didn't hear. They heard it, but they didn't really hear it. And if you're a parent, you know the difference where you can yell up to your, your, your kids, you know, hey, it's time for bed. And you say, and, they, and then they don't do anything. And you're like, did you hear me? And then they say, yes, but they're still not doing anything because they didn't really hear. They didn't really listen. And one of the ways you can tell if they really heard you, if they're really listening, is their actions. Is there fruit there? So it's, it's, it's one thing to hear, but are their actions, are their, the fruit of their actions showing that they're actually listening? 
Likewise, when Jesus, he's teaching, he says in verses 14 and 15 that, that many were hearing, but they weren't really hearing. And many were seeing Jesus' miracles, but they weren't really seeing it. It wasn't bearing any fruit. It wasn't changing their lives. And here he says that this actually is a pattern among God's people. It's, it's been a pattern among God's people from uh, time immemorial and still is. And so he quotes the prophet Isaiah from the Hebrew scriptures in, in chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, where God says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I keep giving you the message, but you don't hear. These people there have hardened their hearts. And Jesus is saying, that's happening again, that this scripture is being fulfilled, that I'm preaching God's kingdom, I'm sharing the good news, but it's not bearing fruit in many people's lives. And he says, those who have received will receive abundantly. In other words, they've received God, the message of God. They're starting to follow Jesus. And so they're going to want more. They're going to get more. But those who've already rejected, they're going to continue to reject. It happened in Isaiah, the prophet's day. It's happening in Jesus' day. It happens in our day. But the problem isn't the message. The message is from God. The problem is the soil of our hearts. And, and because parables can be obscure, if not explained, they're an example of the more you receive, the more you get. Verse 12, he says, for the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Again, so if you don't, if you're following Jesus, if you've understood his message and you, you trust him, what happens if you don't understand something? Well, you seek to understand. You know that he has the words of life. You know he has the wisdom. And so you ask for more. And that's what the disciples actually do, right? They ask Jesus, Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? And many times when Jesus would say a parable, the disciples would then go and say, Jesus, explain this to us. Because that's the nature of a parable. There's a little bit of obscurity, but those who want to truly understand, they come and they get more. So the parable itself is an example of the different soils of our hearts. I really geek out on this because it's like this parable does double duty. The parable itself explains that, but then the parable genre explains that. But I'm not going to go too deep into that, but that's, I geek out about that. I'm like, wow, like this is double layer. Like literally, this is beautiful. But so the disciples, they want more, they, they receive more. But those who, again, reject the word, when they hear a parable, they're like, wait, the seeds, the birds, that doesn't make sense, but not a big deal. I'm not, you know, no big yet. I don't follow Jesus anyways. So that's how an open heart, you want more, but a heart that's closed will not get any more. That's what the parable kind of shows by its form but also its content now in contrast to those who might reject the word the disciples they're blessed right verse 16 jesus says but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear because the disciples they have more revelation than anyone before them and not only do they have more revelation because jesus is teaching them and showing them things but they also received it and that different reception is a result of Jesus' message going into different soils. 
And that's the, par- that's the point of the parable. And that's what Jesus explains in verses 18 through 23. He explains the parable. He helps his followers truly hear the message. Because note verse 18, right? As Jesus, he's already told the parable. He explains them about what, how parables fulfill scripture. And then in verse 18, he says, hear then the parable of the sower. Well, they already heard it. Well, again, what he means is really hear it. I'm going to help ex- unpack it. I want to help you understand it so that you apply it, so that you really hear it, that you really listen, and it goes into your heart. And he helps them by explaining it, by showing them the comparisons so that they understand the meaning, and then they can apply it to their hearts. And what are the points of comparison here? in that section 18 through 23. Well, first he talks about the seed. And what does the seed represent? The seed is Jesus' message of the kingdom, okay? So, you know, we are getting those little seed packets, hopefully, and, you know, maybe get some zucchini or whatever, and we're going to probably plant them by, like, sticking them in the ground one at a time, all of that stuff. Um, And that's generally how we garden. But in that day, um, what Jesus is talking about, when sowing seed, when you're going to sow a whole field, all right, so all like a wheat field or something like that, you would, you would cast the seed, you would sow the seed. And this image is helpful because as Jesus is giving the message of the kingdom, it's like he's throwing seed out among the field. And then, so that's one point of comparison. One parable there is that it's the seed is the Jesus' message of the kingdom. But then the other point of comparison, he says, is that the various places the seed lands, well, that is like how various people receive the message and then the result from receiving that message. And he goes through the different types of soils, the different reactions. There's seed that falls on the pathway. And those, that's the seed that comes and snatched away by birds. So there's no growth, nothing. It just... It doesn't take root. There's no growth. It, it goes, but then it's gone. And he says, yeah, that is like when people hear the message, but nothing happens. The, the evil one comes and snatches away the message. It's, it, it's like, again, that expression, falling on deaf ears. Like the message falls, doesn't have any effect. And again, that is the reaction to some. Jesus' message, nothing. No change, no growth, no fruit, nothing. And then he says there's other seed that falls on the rocky ground and it sprouts up. And he says this is like those who receive the message. They hear it. There's joy there because they recognize it. Oh, that's a message from God. And they're happy that they've received this good news and this, um, again, this spirit-filled word. But he says, but then there's no depth of soil. So when the sun comes out, it burns away that little, that little growth that was there. It just dies away. And he says, this is like those who receive the message with joy, but when persecution, when the heat is on, they fall away. It dies. So there's a little bit of a sprout, but it not, doesn't, nothing lasts. And then he says, the seed that goes around thorny ground, those that where the, the message, it sprouts up, but it doesn't bear any fruit because there's so many thorn bushes around it that, yeah, it grows, but it, it gets choked out 
so it doesn't actually bear fruit. And he says, these are like those who have, where the cares of the world and love of riches chokes out so it doesn't produce fruit. In other words, there's so many things competing with the message of God that it can't take root and bear fruit. It just, I mean, it takes root and grows, but doesn't actually bear fruit. There's too much competition. And then finally he says, but then there's some seed that fell among the, the uh, good soil. In verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He bears fruit and yields in one case 100-fold, in another 60, and another 30. Now, Ian was telling me that some of the seeds he's given are, you know, a year or two old, so they won't have quite a good as yield as normal, but they'll still have some yield. Well, here, this idea of a hundredfold yield, that is astonishing in that day. In that day, a yield of 10 to 20 would be good, you know, before all the genetic engineering and stuff, 10 to 20%, would, a 10 to 20-fold would be amazing. Here he's saying, no, sometimes this seed falls and there's a hundredfold yield. And that is the type of soil that is ready and prepared so that when the seed goes in it, it not only grows, but it remains and bears fruit. And so with this explanation now, the disciples, they can see this teaching in a new way. It's different. Parables hit different. Because it's a parable and it's laying aside an everyday thing to a, spir a deep spiritual truth, it allows the listener, when they understand it, to then take an everyday thing like their life and lay it aside the spiritual truth and make their own comparison. So that we can say, all right, wait, wait. My, which soil is my heart like? That we can ask ourselves, what, how do I receive the message of God? What soil seems to match up with me? Well, one of the answers that Jesus gives is, well, what's the result? Because you might be sure. I'm not, I'm not sure sometimes I receive the words. I'm not, I don't know. But really, what is the point of comparison? The major point of comparison that Jesus makes is fruit bearing as opposed to not bearing fruit. And so if you're not bearing fruit, then you can be like, all right, well, I either don't hear the word at all or, you know, it's, it springs up quick, but then it just dies away. There's no, you know, perseverance or, yeah, I've got a I think I've had growth, but there's just so many things choking out other concerns that are choking out my life. So I don't bear fruit. See, there are many images, but the basic contrast is between those who bear fruit of the kingdom and those who don't. And in John's gospel, uh, 15, chapter 15, verse 8, I believe it will be on the screen, Jesus says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So true disciples of Jesus, they bear fruit, but the fruit bearing and that's what this parable highlights, is there can be several reasons why you're not bearing fruit, but one of the, the, the primary reasons, as Jesus says here, that you're not bearing fruit is, well, how do you receive the message? How do you receive the message? How is our heart prepared so that the natural way of Jesus' word of, all right, here's a spiritual truth, I'm going to plant it in your heart, and I want it to grow and bear fruit, 
Is that natural process happening? How does that happen? Because we have a part to play in this, right? Because the imagery can be passive. So you've been thinking, well, you know, I'm not bearing fruit. I have nothing I can do about it. Well, not really, because look, Jesus, when in verse 9, when he tells the, after he tells the parable, what does he say? He says, he who has ears, let him hear. Like, well, wait a minute, I can either hear or I can't. Well, no, this is the analogy here is if you have ears, use them. Right? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There are things we can do to cultivate the soil of our hearts so that if we don't see bearing fruit, we can say, well, how am I receiving the message? And how? How do we prepare our hearts to receive the message so that we are bearing fruit? And let's first look at that. Well, what is fruit? That's another common biblical metaphor that basically, and it makes sense, that fruit is what you produce, right? Produce is what you, you know, the produce of your life is the fruit, what comes out of your life. And so you can have good fruit or bad fruit, whatever you produce. But Jesus says, my followers are supposed to have fruit that glorifies God and blesses others. It blesses God and blesses other people. And as he talks about fruit, some of the things he compares good fruit to is obedience. Um, or there's, you've heard of the fruit of the Spirit. From Galatians, the Apostle Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, the produce of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God because you've received God's message and you're trusting him, then if the Spirit of God is in you, it will produce certain character qualities, naturally. Like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. So that if you're indwelt by the Spirit, then the fruit of that will be more love, more patience, more kindness. So any, it makes sense. Anything that is of God produces those godly type of things. Earlier in Matthew, we've already been through this. This was on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you'll know a tree by its fruit. So that if you're a follower of Jesus, then your fruit should be Christ-like. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So at the very basic level, fruit is those things that, that, that come out of us. And those who follow Christ should produce Christ-like things. In John 15, 8, again, using this imagery, Jesus uses agricultural imagery. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, that image is connected to Jesus. Naturally, you produce things that Jesus would want you to produce. And again, a part of that, how are we remaining connected to Jesus? Is through his word, through his message. As we pay attention to the messages of Jesus as the scriptures, that's one of those ways we stay connected with him. We understand his heart. Um, we understand like, his desires for us. And then if we truly hear that, then we produce fruit from that connection. All right, but let's get a little more 
specific, a little more concrete. How? How do we prepare our hearts? What does that look like? Because you, you might all be in agreement with me, and I'm not sure because I'm not getting any head nods or amens like I usually do, so maybe you're not with me. But <laughs> what does that actually look like? Because you might understand, okay, I get it. Um, I'm supposed to hear the word. I'm supposed to produce fruit and, and, and all of that stuff. And I need to prepare the soul of my heart. I get the analogy. But what does that look like day in and day out? Well, I think the first thing is we, we have to get in our minds that the goal is to produce fruit. When you begin with the end in mind, it helps f f you figure out what do you need to do. Because notice, the goal is bearing fruit. It's not just growth. Yes, you need growth to eventually produce fruit. But if a farmer has a huge field and it sprouts up, but it doesn't actually produce any grain or fruit, he's going to be really upset because his life depends on that produce, on that fruit. And he would do all sorts of things. He might be like, okay, there's growth, but wait, there's no fruit. So I need to spring into action because I need to try to get this crop to produce fruit because it looks like it might not. So same with us is that it's not just about knowing. Oh, I know a lot. It's good. That's, a fir that's the first step to know a lot of scripture. To, to, and, oh, I do a lot of things for God. Yeah, that's good. But is it fruit? Is it fruit that's born from your connection with Jesus? Because that's the goal. So that'd be the first question. And the second is preparing your heart. That also means that we have a heart that is soft, the soil of our heart is soft and ready to repent, okay? Now, what do I mean by that? A repentant heart. Why do I say that? In Matthew chapter 3, we've already looked at this a few weeks ago, um, John the Baptist says, and I believe this will be on the screen, uh, 3.8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what he tells the Pharisees and the religious leaders, See, their hearts are hardened. They already think they know. They don't think they need to grow. They don't think they need to change course to get in line with God. And so therefore, they have hard hearts. But here, we know repentance is a natural leading up, right, to that producing fruit. And we need to do that too. We need to have hearts that when we are listening to God's word, when we're reading God's word, hearing the message of Jesus, we have to have a posture of repentance. And that goes against our, our world so much, our society. Our society is like, no, just daily affirmations. That's all you need, daily affirmations. But scripturally, and what Jesus says is, no, actually, we all need to repent. So some people, when they, when they hear about Christianity, they think we're judgmental or whatever, but really it's, and, and sometimes we are, but it's more about everyone needs to repent. So when we say to someone, oh, you need to repent, it's not like you do and I don't. It needs to come from a place of, no, everyone needs to repent. Our heart's condition has to be one that's open and ready and assuming I need to repent. So that when I hear the message of Jesus, I'm assuming I'm not walking lockstep into that, in that message that I'm a little bit off. So I have to. I, uh, there's something I've got to do today to get in line with what Jesus is doing so that my heart is, is soft. But so many of us, it's the opposite. We're trained from, a little, from being little kids that, no, the consumer is always right. And we're consumers. But the, the biblical posture is one of repentance, of a humble heart, assuming that 
I'm not in full alignment with God, so yeah, I need to repent. Today, I need to repent. My whole life, I need to repent. And that doesn't come from a judgmentalism. That comes from an acknowledgement that the part of the human condition is one of sin, one of sorrow, and, and one where we're just not matched up with God. But a part of the good news of the kingdom that Jesus was sowing was repent, yes, but the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember, that was one of the first things he said, that the message of the kingdom was repent. It started with repentance, but the good part was the kingdom of God is at hand. So yes, repent and turn and follow God because God wants you to be in his kingdom. That the kingdom doors are open. So yeah, don't keep walking away from the kingdom. Repent, the kingdom of God is here for you. And those who understood it, like the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes who knew, yeah, I'm not in line with God. They immediately said, oh, you mean the kingdom of God is open to me if I just follow Jesus? Okay, I'm there. But who had the trouble receiving it? It was those with hard hearts, the Pharisees, the religious leaders who said, no, no, I'm fine. I don't need that. I don't need to repent. I'm all good with God already. And that's what the conflict came from. So the first thing about having a prepared heart, a soft heart, is when you read God's word, when you hear his message, having a posture of repentance, of assuming, not I'm all good, but assuming, no, I'm not all good. I've got issues. I've got problems. And so Jesus, I want to hear your word. I want it to bear fruit. And again, so that's a part of it. What does it look like? coming to God's message with that open heart, assuming repentance. Also, what we see here is we need depth for the heat. You know, as Chrissy read the, um, that scripture about the, uh, David crying out to God, God, uh, God, I'm in sorrow, I'm suffering, all of this. David went through, King David and the Hebrew scriptures went through some really difficult things, but his faith remained strong. Why? Because it, he had a depth to it. Do we have a depth to our faith? So many times, uh, especially here in America, our, our, we have a shallow slogan-like faith. Again, where we look to the Bible for daily affirmations. <laughs> and, it's, it's, and it's not that good. I mean, God's word does have affirmations in it, but it's so much more. It goes deep. Right? There are scriptures where it talks about our sin, it talks about suffering, and it deals with the human condition for all its realness and rawness. And do, do we go deep into it, or are we satisfied with just a few of our, our favorite verses? You know, like our, our, the amount of scripture we have is like a page thick, right? This is all my favorite verses. Yeah, they're from different places, but, uh, you know, they all tell me how great I am and that, you know, God loves me. And all that's true. Believe me, all of that is true. But if that's it, what happens? When the storms of life come, we don't have the depth. We can't take the heat. And that growth, any growth we have withers away. So, so yeah, you know, um, coming and, and, and listening to God's word, you know, once a week, if it's just a Sunday thing, I mean, that's good. It'll benefit you. But, and maybe it'll help you when you have only one day of week that's seven if you're suffering. But what about those times of life when we're enduring suffering or difficulty for a year straight? We have, we're in the middle of a season of difficulty. Then we need more than just one day kind of thickness. We need, we need a depth. 
We need all of God's word. And there's a depth there that speaks into our suffering, like the book of Job, which is, blows our mind. It's difficult, but yet it provides a depth. It provides the pages that we need so that when difficulty comes, We've gone through more than just daily affirmations. We've gone into the depth, the heart of God. We understand his good news. We understand the kingdom. We understand who God is, who people are. We understand so much more. But we don't just understand it. We've applied it. So that's the other part is that it's not just about understanding and hearing. That's true. It's also about applying. It's about actions afterwards. Does God's interaction with God's word cause you and I to live differently. That's the fruit part, and that's the goal. And then the final thing that we can do, but I've talked about this last week in, in depth, so I won't too much today, is you know, clear the weeds, clear the thorns out of your life that's choking God's word. And again, I, I talked about last week that many things we've got to uproot and, and throw away. Yes, bad things, but even just some good things that so fill our life that there's no space in our life for God's word to not only plant and start to grow, but actually produce fruit. So as you're looking and saying, maybe, yeah, my, I don't see the fruit in my life, and you look at your life, you, say, you kind of gauge it. Do I receive the word? Does it even have a chance to, to grow? Um, is my, is how, what's the depth of my soil? Or do I have so many things going on in life that there's no room for God to grow, for God's word to grow? So you can do a little test today, this week. If you're wondering, all right, God, how do I receive your word? Who am I in this parable? Like, what my heart, what soil does it match with? You can find out this week. Because like, I just shared with you the message of Jesus, right? I, I preach from the Bible. That's one of the reasons I do it is so that uh, as much as possible, I get out of the way and I try to present what Jesus said in its context, all of that. And so the question is, all right, well, what now? What's going to happen with this message? Will we leave? And that's the last we've thought of it for the rest of the week. Well, if that's the case, then that's kind of like the birds snatching it away. Oh, you heard it. You heard it, but you didn't really hear it. Or maybe... Right now, you're like, yes, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I understand that Jesus is, you know, his teach, Jesus' teaching is amazing. And, you, and you've got some joy that, oh, yeah, uh, you know, Jesus invites me into the kingdom and you're happy about it. Or you have an experience. Maybe the Lord will touch you today that in our prayer, in the song or something, you feel the, the Holy Spirit, you know, filling you and, and, um, and propelling you to take a step towards him. And you're, and you're joyful about that. But then when the novelty wears off, when there's no more kind of religious experiential high, does the fruit remain? I mean, does the plant remain? Does it grow? So again, this, you can figure this out this week. What are you going to do with this word? Well, we know what we can do. We know how we can start working in our hearts now. Assume repentance. Build depth to it. You know, one of the reasons that I go through books of the Bible is, one, so that we'll end up going through most of it, um, you know, if we live long enough. Um, 
but also so that you want more, you can have more. And I didn't cover all that was in this particular section. You can go home. You can read it. You can bust out a commentary and say, you know what? Pastor Joe didn't really quite cover this, so I'm going to read it more. Or next week you can say, well, Pastor Joe did Matthew chapter 13, 1 through 23, so I'll bet he's going to do Matthew 13, verse 24 and following. So I'm going to read it ahead. I'm going to ask God to prepare my heart. One of the reasons I preach this way is so that, like the parable says, you want more, you can have more. Not just what I give, but what you can get from that. And then there's growth groups. There's so many things where you can get together with people and look deeply into the word. But the, Jesus says the more you want, the more you can have. That's one way to, to dig deeper. So maybe that's you today. Maybe the only thing you're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I bear fruit. I don't know, but I do know I want more. Well, that's the pl a good place to start. Because Jesus says in this parable, those who want, you know, those who have more will be given. So seek him out. Seek the depth. Seek repentance. And you will have an abundance. You'll have that fruit that bears. Hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. And that's the thing about fruit is that it's a seed packet. Meaning it plants one seed and then from that one seed comes dozens, sometimes hundreds of other seeds. So it's not just for you, it's for others. That's the blessing of God's kingdom. That's the blessing of having a fruitful life where you've received God's message and then you share it. Let's pray. Dear God, we first come before you and Lord, I confess, we confess that we need more of you, that our hearts are not repentant. Our hearts are not ready and assuming that we need to move to be in, in step with you. But Lord, we want more. We want more of your life, more of your word. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd move about this sanctuary. And Lord, we open our hearts to you. We pray that you would break the hardened ground, give us repentance. But Lord, we also pray that you would be giving us a depth. Even now, as we hear this word, it would be giving us depth. Lord, give us that desire to seek a depth of soil. Show us, Lord, each person. Holy Spirit, now move in our minds. Maybe for some, it's joining a small group so they can get deep into the word. For some, Lord, it's... It's stepping forward and volunteering so that they can act out those things you've called them to do. Lord, for others, it's forgiving somebody who had a, who did something bad against them because that's applying your word. To others, Lord, show them the next step that they need to take that will Provide that depth. Lord, we open our hearts to you. Do this in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.